The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Almighty God, that you are a generous king is an astounding truth. You're the one who made everything, who reigns over everything, who is holy in every conceivable way. And you look upon a fallen world and are generous. Out of your great storehouses of wealth, you pour out on us grace after grace after grace. Chief among them, the fact that we have the ability to call you Father. That you save us in Christ. That you have done that for us, Almighty God, is an alarming, amazing, wonderful grace. You are so generous to us. We who are your people know astounding mercy know you as a great giver, and will spend eternity having your grace unfolded for us. As you say in Ephesians 2, you will be showing us your grace forever. We will never come to the end of it. We will never get tired of looking at it. We will never know all of it. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Would you please... Cause that to ever be before the eyes of your people. Please do this gracious work also. Give remembering minds. Give seeing eyes to us, your people. And then move us out with you and after you as you send us out to talk about that great generosity. Fill our minds and fill our hearts before you fill our lips. For what is in our minds and hearts is what will be on our lips. So fill our minds and fill our hearts with clear understanding of your generous grace. Lord, use the passages before us this morning to, in some ways, remind us of that and and refresh us in that and orient us as what it means to be a disciple with that kind of gift given and then the responsibility that that ensues. Orient us and, and send us out, please. So give clarity to my words here this morning. Open up your word before us. Teach, build, guide Convict if necessary, encourage where necessary. Spirit of God, would you own this time? Would you move through this room and claim the hearts of your people in new and in fresh ways and perhaps, Lord, claim someone's heart for the first time? Do your your work here, please. Father, commission the Spirit to lift up the Son. Lift him up in our eyes and then through us in the eyes of others. Thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Honor Jesus and build your church, please. Thank you, Lord. Amen. We turn our attention this morning to Luke chapter 9. 
and a different section of this book. Kind of at a turning point. Previously, we've seen a lot of the ministry of Jesus. Several passages have discussed throughout Luke so far how he has traveled around teaching and healing in massive crowds. And sometimes those events, those teaching healing events, were elaborated on as they were, for instance, at the beginning of chapter 8, where we saw Jesus present the, what's called the parable of the soils or the parable of the sower, depending how you call that. He teaches there and we listen in there as he's explaining the importance of hearing the word of the Lord, particularly hearing it off of his lips. And then, as we saw over the last several weeks, we moved in chapter 8 from Jesus' teaching with his words to Jesus' teaching with his actions. We saw him in a number of different situations displaying who he is, showing himself to be Lord over every square inch of human existence, Lord over nature, Lord over the supernature, supernatural. Lord, even over the demonic and the evil. Lord, over health, disease, death. He is Lord. Looked last week at disease and death and health. Jesus alone has power to save us from all that threatens or takes life. He healed a woman of a disease she'd had for a long time and then healed, raised from the dead, in fact, a young girl. Both marvelous displays of his power and both explicitly in the passage connected to faith so as to teach us, to alert us, to point us on towards as all the miracles of the Bible are constantly doing, to point us from the physical, tangible, earthly, if you will, towards the the spiritual, to remind us about here's Jesus healing, here's Jesus giving life. He's the one who gives spiritual life. He's the one who spiritually heals after faith. It's expressly connected to faith twice to, rep- to remind us to point that out after faith. It's this Jesus alone, and humanly speaking, our response to that is faith alone, because faith is the, is the response before God that's open-handed, that's humble, that receives what is promised. So it's the receiving of what someone else, in this case, Jesus, has done. That's why faith is so important. Humble faith alone is what God requires. He's Lord over all, so hear him and trust him. That's what we've been seeing. That's what the disciples have been seeing as they've been kind of along for the ride with Jesus to this point. They've been present through all this, sometimes questioning him, asking for more details, sometimes just observing. But they're not really doing anything along the way here. They've just been seeing it. It's been all Jesus. Earlier in the book, you recall, we we saw a few passages where Jesus alerted them to to coming realities. Remember when he he summoned them to come follow me and you'll be not just catchers of fish, but catchers of men. So there's something that's been coming, something different on the horizon. And they have, in fact, been, been learning. They've been being trained, even kind of as they haven't understood it. They've been following along, been watching and learning. But now there's a turn here in the book, and it becomes more explicit as Jesus is going to take the disciples and begin to explicitly equip them and send them out into ministry. They have been kind of tagging along and watching, and now they're going to be doing. So what's happening here is an unfolding of more of discipleship. What it means for us to be disciples. 
So we're going to be watching and learning more about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, and particularly this morning, we're going to see that disciples are sent ones. Sent by Jesus and equipped by Jesus. Those are kind of the two observations that I'm going to make this morning. Sent by Jesus and equipped by Jesus. Before I do that, though, let me read the passage. This is verses 1 through 9 of chapter 9. I'm going to read the passage, and then I'll draw out three observations. The first one's much longer than the last two. Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money. Do not have two tunics. Whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod, the Tetrarch, heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed. Because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. Luke 9, 1-9. Make three observations, and here's the first. Jesus' disciples are sent to proclaim the good news of the kingdom, just like him. Jesus' disciples are sent to proclaim the good news of the kingdom, just like him. Draw this from verse 2. It's the main thrust of the passage. It's in verse 2 and then bookending again, verse 6. Jesus sends them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Then in verse 6, it's what they did. They departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing. So we're being told here, as we look at these 12 disciples who are, who are the model disciples, they are showing us what discipleship looks like. They are called to Jesus and sent by him, sent out by him on mission. So we're learning something here about what it means to be a disciple. In fact, it's going to be repeated in chapter 10, very similar passage in chapter 10, very similar orders. And it was foretold, as I already mentioned, back in chapter 5. Come, you're going to be fishers of men. Well, here it begins. They are sent fishing and catching men. This is a fundamental piece of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. So what we're seeing here, Christian, is that this is what we are about. What we are to be about. Perhaps not exactly like them in every way, most of us, in fact, won't fish or catch exactly like they do. We're not going to travel around from village to village to village to village proclaiming Jesus in exactly this way. In fact, their, their whole lifestyle is, is unique to them, isn't it? They, they traveled for three years. They, they lived as nomads for three years following Jesus all around the land. That's unique to them. And if we were to look back just in the previous chapter, 
the formerly demon-possessed man who was healed, he asked to follow along with Jesus, and Jesus said no. He sent him back to his hometown. So Jesus sent some out to various villages, and he sent that one back to his hometown. It's different, but the same, that they are both sent proclaiming. Same word. They're sent different places, both of them, all of us, sent proclaiming. Different but the same. Because this is what it means to be a disciple following Jesus, who himself is a sent proclaimer. We are sent proclaiming just like him. In fact, so similar the wording lines up. If you look at chapter 8, verse 1, what did Jesus do? He went from village to village proclaiming the kingdom of God, the good news about the kingdom of God, just like the wording here. It's so similar so that we can't miss it. That's what Jesus does. That's what we are to do. In different ways to be sure, some traveling around, some going right back to your very same house, your very same job, your very same school, your very same neighborhood with people you've known your whole lives. Wherever you are, there you are as a sent one. Strategically, deliberately placed there by Jesus. It's a little bit of what's implied in verses 4 and 5. I'm going to come back to 4 and 5 later. There's, there's more in 4 and 5, but there's a little bit there about place, about being mindful of, of the providential control of God over our places. He says, wherever they receive you, whatever house you enter in, they receive you, stay there. Emphasis is on there. Stay there. Mindful of, these ones received me. Verse 5, you know, other ones didn't. But these ones received me. And we're to be thinking, so this is where God has opened the door. God has placed me here. So here I am to be proclaiming. Proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, which to a Jewish audience makes a ton of sense, but not so much to us, maybe. Might be made more clear if we use some different words. But at the heart of it, what we need to keep central in our focus is that what we are announcing, what we are proclaiming, is a very God-centered message that fits the needs of people. It's, it's a dramatic, game-changing message about mercy and grace that's come that fits the need of people who have a need for mercy and grace because of their sin. So if we, if we don't use the words like, like kingdom or, or Lord that don't make a lot of sense sometimes to people, if we keep in mind we are about a God-centered message that meets the need of people, that's about dramatic game change, not one amongst an endless variety of options, but sudden and dramatic mercy that fits a need, needed mercy. This is what we are proclaiming. We're not only discussing it, we're dialoguing about it. We are proclaiming. We are announcing. This is news, and we are announcers. If somewhere, think about this, if somewhere up in the, the headquarters of Baskin-Robbins, the executive leadership team decides to take their customer database and give everyone in it a free scoop of ice cream on their birthday which they do, 
they don't debate that decision with all of us. They don't dialogue about the, the impact of the bottom line on the local franchisee. They don't listen to and hold an open forum discussing the wisdom of, of ice cream calories. They just proclaim free ice cream and they send out an email and invite us all to come and partake. Trivial. But so similar. Trivial. It's just ice cream. But it's just an announcement of good news. We are to announce, we are to proclaim a set of facts. And we need to be clear about what, what our job is in this. We have a, a, a body of information that we are to proclaim, to announce, to get out there on the table. Now, there is, there is nothing wrong, there's nothing wrong with, with debating or dialoguing about or discussing. In fact, there can be much very good about that with, with another person to sort out all the details and to work through it all. But we need to keep in mind that our main job is to get out on the table some facts, to announce them, to proclaim lovingly and clearly Here's what has happened. And it is the best news ever. It is the best news ever. Do you believe that? Stop. The, the great... I, I wrote like five sermons this week. Because the real wrestling point for me is that I constantly feel like I'm telling you something you already know. Stop. Proclaim. Announce a set of facts. That is the best news ever. Do you believe that? Because it all starts right here. This is the best news ever. Have you tasted and seen this? If this is not real, then none of this is going to have any meaning for you. It all starts here. Remember the demon-possessed man. We talked about this in the last chapter. What sparks his proclaiming? For goodness sakes, I was possessed by evil and I've been set free. I can't not talk about it. It's the best thing ever. Why, follow that through, why do you find it very possible to not talk about this? He could not talk about it. It's the best news. It is amazing. I have been set free. I find it very easy to not talk about this. It does not front and center. Gracious, glorious King who has given me such freedom. It is not front and center in my life very much. And I think that is, that is a significant reason why we find it easy to not talk about this. This is the best news ever. It is a message about freedom from bondage, from evil, from death and destruction and judgment and wrath. Free. We are not calling people to join a club. We are not calling people to try to convince them to change their behaviors and start doing what we think they should do instead of what they want to do. 
We are not trying to convince people to be more moral or more ethical, to clean up their lives and be better. So often that's what people get from Christians. That's what they think the Christian message is about. Here's, what, here's my set of behaviors that you should follow instead of your set of behaviors you should follow. And I think that oftentimes we think we're trying to convince them of that too, that we're calling them to a more religious lifestyle, a, 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 better, a better way to live. And we're primarily doing it because, A, we're supposed to, we have to, or because we're frustrated by how they're messing things up. Not out of freedom. I've been changed. You need to hear this. the best news ever. What you do with it is up to you. But there's something I need to get on the table in front of you lovingly and clearly. God has acted to set you free, not to call you to behaviors and changes and differences. Oh, there is clearly a different life that follows. Indeed, out of the overflow of the heart, you will be different. But I'm talking about how to have the heart set free. We are announcing that God has made a way to be free from bondage. We are announcing that God has made a way to come out from underneath of the bondage of guilt, the bondage of right guilt that's due to my sin, the bondage of sin that's going to take me before a holy judge and condemn me. We're talking about how to be free from wrath and free from destruction, which they experience in this life, which we experience in this life. Sin destroys in this life, and destroys forever and ever 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 in the next. We need to be clear about that too. And this is a point that can be heavy because we have to talk about sin at some point in our proclaiming of good news because forgiveness and mercy and grace from God fundamentally doesn't make any sense and doesn't have any stunning appeal to people who really don't think they have much to be forgiven of. We human beings really fundamentally think we're okay, at least better than that guy. And in that light, amazing grace is not really very amazing and can actually be misunderstood because I think I deserve it. I'm a decent guy. God should love me. He should give to me. We need to be clear. We need to be clear about sin in the heart and the holiness of God. We need to make that clear. And we may have to, as we see in the passage, to, to shake the dust off of our feet. What, what's that about? In that day, that would have been a shocking a discombobulating action because that's what Jewish people did when they left Gentile land. Let me get the uncleanness off me and leave the, the uncleanness and the alienation and separation from God over here. I don't want any of that on me. I'm going to step away. Wait, wait, Jewish people, you're saying that about me? You're saying that I'm in the same boat as them? Yeah. So in some way or another, obviously we wouldn't want to literally shake off that so it doesn't make any sense. But in some way or another, we need to make clear, you're not okay if you leave, if you leave this behind. There's a glorious offer here. There are, there, the facts on the table are stunning. And you are not okay if you walk away from them. That needs to be clear. We don't need to stop there. We can't stop there, and we might not really even need to start there. But it needs to be in there. 
Logically, it comes first, but it doesn't need to necessarily come first in your conversation. But it's got to be in there because it's the only thing that makes, makes the message make any sense. Sin is awful and judgment is real. And no human work, no human effort can break the bondage, can set us free. We are without hope in this world except for this. Glory. We are without hope in this world. We can't do anything about it, but God has acted to send his king, and he has brought the kingdom of God near. That is, he has brought near the type of life that your heart was made for and that you long for at every single living moment, every breath you draw, you want the kingdom. You may never call it that, but you want this life. And everything you chase, in, in essence, is trying to get you to what you don't even know you're looking for, the kingdom of God. It is the life that is in, in union with, with real depth of meaning and in union with real hope and in union with real love and is shot through with genuine joy and that lasts, it persists, it's whole, it's real, it's about peace. It gives your heart something that is true and real to worship. You are a born worshiper and this kingdom gives you something that actually is worthy of worship and will never let you down and will never go away. This is a life you want because it's a life that's oriented towards God, the one who made you, who made you for him. And he has, this is what's glorious about this, he has not just said, here I am with all that you want, and there you are wanting it, and in between is a barrier of sin that will bring you under judgment. He says that and then says, but I have actually acted, I have stepped in to remove that, to clear it away. I have sent the king he has brought the kingdom near and has cleared away all the rubble that you might come by faith and know this life that your heart wants. This is good news. All we do is we announce it, we proclaim it, Can, can you see that that only, that only runs, that only has any, any depth to it if it comes out of a soul that is in fact captured by it? If you realize, and you must realize, I'm a sent one, sent to proclaim, this must form your identity, Christian, I'm a sent one, sent to proclaim because Jesus was first the sent one who proclaimed to me and saved me with this and changed me with it. I'm following after one. I'm following in his footsteps that has actually gripped me and changed me. All I'm talking to them about is what I need. All I'm talking to them about is what was revealed to me. I didn't come up with this. I don't know it. I'm not wise. But I am changed by him. You can be too. And you leave it at that. You don't have to persuade or twist arms. This is why we can talk like this. We can talk about this in front of anybody. I mean, I have numerous friends who aren't Christians. I can talk just like this to all of them. Maybe not monologue like this. But I can talk just like this to all of them because I'm not trying to coerce them. I'm not trying to pull one over. You can talk like this because 
It's easy to identify the wreckage of sin. It's, it's easy then to talk about the one who clears it away. It's easy to offer it and put it in front of them and say, here, really, do with it what you will. But know this, it is an offer that you can't refuse. Not because I said so, because he said so. Here, do with it what you will. I just make the facts clear. I proclaim the kingdom that you want has drawn near, and you can have it by faith, only by faith. In this Jesus, only in this Jesus. But you can have it. That is good news that must form our, our like mental framework of the world. That's what has happened to me, and I am here. I am sent here. Wherever here is, I am here sent to proclaim that. Not in every single sentence, not in, not in every single conversation. We are real people. We are whole people with whole lives. But always in all of our lives, in, all of our, in each, every moment of our life, we need to be thinking, I'm a Christian. I'm on the job. This is what I'm about. So what, what part of that is, is this moment? And sometimes it's just going to be, I have a conversation with this person about math. We're doing a math assignment together. Or we're preparing a presentation for next week in Dallas. Or we've got a ball game this afternoon. Sometimes it's just that kind of conversation. And it's preparatory. And I'm thinking, who is this person? How am I presenting what a changed life looks like to this person? And other times it's prayerful preparation. And other times I'm laying the groundwork for somebody else to actually speak. But all of the time you are sent on this mission. Jesus was sent on mission that does not terminate in you. It passes through you to others. You're sent along with him, a recipient and a dispenser of good news. In fact, if you think about that, a recipient and a dispenser of good news, it's actually Jesus who's doing and owning the whole thing. He sends us. He actually owns the work. Which brings us to the second point about how he equips for it. Disciples are sent in the power and under the provision of Jesus. Disciples are sent in the power and under the provision of Jesus. Verse 1, he calls the twelve together and he did something to them. He gave something to them. And notice it, it very closely connects to what we were just looking at in chapter 8. We were shown there, and the disciples obviously saw there again and again and again, the authority and power of Jesus over everything, particularly over disease and over the demonic, as well as other things. So the very same power that they just saw him display, he gives to them. Same thing. And actually, it's his power. It's not, not like separate power, like now you can do this too, but really, I'm going to do this through you. If we look ahead at chapter 10, see the same sort of thing dealt with there, and, and it says that they, 
come back, the 72 this time, come back and say, man, Lord, the demons are subject to us in your name. Not just subject to us, but subject to you in us. It's the power of Jesus that's at work through them. Healing of diseases and healing of demons. Same word applies to both. So when it talks about healing in these two places, in verse 2 and in verse 6, it includes healing from demons as well as healing from disease. This is still about the unique authority and power of Jesus. But Jesus, before he sends them out, says, Here. I'm going to give you something so that when you go out there, you can say, Jesus said, and kind of show them a card, Jesus said, and they'll respond. Because they have to respond to me. So you, you, have, you have a power. Why does he give them that power? They go, it says, preaching and healing. Those two separate things? No, in fact, they're related. They're doing Jesus' work. Think about what Jesus did with us all throughout the gospel so far. We could look particularly at Luke chapter 7. Remember Luke 7, John's messengers. John's in prison wondering, are you the one? Are you really the one? Are you the one? Sends the messengers to ask. And Jesus says, tell John what you saw. And at that hour, he healed many of plagues and diseases and evil spirits. Go tell John what you saw. In Jesus' life and in the disciples' life, the healing is working as a confirmation, as an affirmation, as a reinforcement of the message. Here's the message on the table, and here's how you can know it's true. Not separate, they're linked. Here's the message, the kingdom has come near, and particularly, it's not just random signs, random powerful things. They are particular powers. He's particularly exercising authority, kingdom authority. I tell you, the kingdom of God has come near, that life has come near, that liberation from evil has come near. Well, let me show you powerfully, I'm going to set free from evil. I'm going to restore human beings to wholeness, just like the kingdom. Here it is. It's come in part right now. Watch. The power, these signs, it is evidence of the kingdom come. It validates this is true. And that kind of supernatural power is put on disciples. Even on us. In exactly the same way, all of us in all the same way? No. But we need to be very careful here that we not draw a line through the Bible and say the power of God worked only back then. At some time, wherever we draw the line, sometime prior to then, the power of God worked. Not now. Men and women, this same God and this same power is alive today, particularly, if I, if I just say this, you are indwelt with and meant to be filled by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God drives the mission of God all through the world now, using us. And sometimes that means even the same types of dramatic healings like we would see here. Healing does still happen today. I have seen it. 
demonic possession, as we talked about before, still happens today, and God still sets free from it today. I have not, that I know of, seen that, but I have read about it. And furthermore, we should consider if what we're looking at here is really God's power at work through his disciples to affirm, here is the kingdom, a whole host of other things open up. Things like gifts of the Spirit, speaking and utterance, prophecy. Things like the changing of a human life to make it from a man who is against God to be a man who is for God. From a man who is, who is trapped and ensnared in sin and to a man who has been set free from it and walks different. From a man who is, who is trapped in some sort of an addiction, even a physical addiction, and is set free to walk in newness of life. This, all of those things could be and are evidences of the power of God at work in Christians to give supporting evidence. The message proclaimed, it's true. Now, is that fail-safe? Well, no. It's not fail-safe. The demon-possessed man was healed of a whole legion of demons. The whole rest of town saw it and embraced Jesus happily and trusted him and became Christians? No. They sent him away. Though Jesus himself displayed the power of the kingdom in their own town on a guy they knew. It's not fail-safe. But it's real. And when God joins his power and his message and puts them on the table in front of a person whom he is pursuing. God joins his message, God joins his power, both of them coming through us, on the table in front of a person whom he is pursuing. That person comes to life. That is all under the authority and the power of God. I don't make that happen. I proclaim. I ask the Spirit of God to move. He does what he will. What we are to take from this, you're sent out and you are not sent out alone, empty-handed. You are sent out with a trump card. You're sent out with God's power, promising to go with you to do whatever it is that God decides to accomplish. You will not be left in the lurch. God sends you out under his power and under his provision. We go dependent on him for everything that we need. Verse 3, he tells the disciples they should go, how? Without a bunch of stuff. Don't take this, don't take this, don't take this, don't take this. Which we need to think about carefully because we compare it even to the list in chapter 10 or the list in the other gospels that are similar, talking about similar events. All the lists are a little bit different. Some of them becoming more extreme, like the next one in chapter 10, don't take any sandals. That's, that's not actually possible. For them to walk all over Palestine barefoot, they're going to tear up their feet. He's, he's not trying to create barefoot, you know, bloody pulp barefoot. Think about this, not just in your yard, 
on the roads of Palestine. Bloody pulp barefoot with a single change of clothing and absolutely nothing in their possession. No bag, no money, no bread, absolutely nothing. They're just standing there with one piece of clothing on. That's not literally what he's trying to get at. What is he trying to get at? Well, we see it a little bit when we combine it with verse 4. And whatever house you enter, stay there. And from there depart. Emphasis on there. And I mentioned earlier that we should be detecting something of the providence of God. But why might disciples be tempted to move from house to house to house to house to house? Well, all the other traveling teachers of that day moved from house to house to house to house to house. Why do you think? To get more and more donations. Guest comes to my house, I might treat him to a meal once. And the next day you get the leftovers. I'm I'm only going to make the nice meal the first time. And I'm going to set aside a certain amount of money to give to this cause, and I'll give it to you, but I don't have anything to give day two. Move to another house. They'll give to you, and they'll give you a nice meal. Move to another house. They'll give to you. They'll give you a nice deal. That's what the traveling teachers of that day did. And Jesus says, nope. I'm going to put you in a place and stay there. When they receive you, stay there. And whatever they give you, that's what you got. You don't have anything else with you. Whatever they give you, that's what you got. I provide it for you. And I will provide it for you. You'll be fine. This is my mission. You're on my mission. I'll take care of you. I'm the king. This is about trusting God with the power that we need for ministry and with the provision that we need for ministry while we are in his ministry. He will send us out in his power, providing for us. And what kind of results can we expect? Third, shortly. We can expect three different results. Verse 4, verse 5, some people will let you in and some people won't. Some people are going to say, that is wonderful. God is at work. God leads you to them and you see an openness, a willingness, and they, they receive you and they receive your message and other people don't want anything to do with it. That's okay. That's realistic. Third, the one that Luke interestingly wants to highlight. You might think that Luke would highlight the receiving one. That Luke would say the the result that that we want to see, and you the reader, the result that you should have is the receiving result. That's not the one he highlights. He highlights a third result, verses 7 to 9. Herod, who is the local, local ruler, King Herod, heard about all that was happening, surely including this, these, the spread of preaching and everything before it. He heard about all that was happening and he was perplexed. He is utterly confused. Other people have plenty of answers. You see him listed there. 
Some people said, John the Baptist has been raised. What we saw earlier, John the Baptist, Herod imprisoned him, and as he said here, cut off his head. So Herod thinks, okay, some people say John the Baptist has been raised, but I know that Jesus and John were alive at the same time, so they're not the same person. Can't be that. Other people say, like this happened after the the widow of Nain's son was raised, people said, a great prophet has arisen. This is like Elijah or somebody else. Other people say the prophets of old have come back, even though, Herod says, I know that this one says that he's actually more than just a prophet. He doesn't just leave it at that. He claims to actually be the Lord. So that doesn't fit. No prophet of God would claim to be more than a prophet of God. So that doesn't fit either. But so you've got this category, that's fine for you, but that doesn't work. And you've got this category, that's fine for you, but that doesn't work. I don't know what to do with this says Herod. He is perplexed. Verse 9. John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? Oh, never mind. Who cares? not important. No. And he sought to see him. That's the response that Luke puts in front of us and commends. And actually, throughout the book of Luke, often he comes back to, and somebody didn't get it, but they kept thinking about it. And they went to Jesus to ask, Who are you? What is this? So if we're thinking about being sent, we should be very fine with contemplation, very fine with perplexed evaluation, and we should encourage, go directly to Jesus and ask him. Go ask him who he is. Read the Bible. Pray to God and say, Jesus, who are you? I don't get it. We should encourage people like that. And if that's you, if you're maybe somebody sitting here even right now saying, I don't get this myself, go to him and ask him. Who are you? Open up the Bible and read it asking. There's a set of facts here that is is the best news possible placed in front of you And I want to be clear, you cannot walk away from it and be fine. You walk away from it still in peril. But I I commend it to you to read this and examine it, think about it. There is a way that your sin can be removed and you can be brought to life, united with God, forgiven. And his name is Jesus. Seek to see him. Ask him who he is. For those of us here in the body who who know him, remember who he is sent for you and realize that you stand right now a recipient of that work and then sent out to proclaim it yourselves in his power and under his provision. That's what it means to be a disciple. Let me pray. Father, would you give to our hearts, our minds, 
a, a settled, worship-filled resolve. A, a settled resolve that says, yes, that is what I am to be about, and Lord, help me. And a worshipful one that doesn't feel like it is more burden being laid on, but it in fact is a, is a joy to be involved with you in this ministry, to be lovers of you and lovers of other people, helpful to them. Lord, give to us a, a settled and worshipful resolve. Would you please shape our church? Shape our church, grow our church, mature our church in this. As we seek to follow after you as, as disciples of yours and to, in your name, love other people all around us, the ones to whom you have sent us. But I'm sure there are a hundred barriers. Help us to see them and to recognize them and to bring them before you. And if there are some here, or some who hear this, or some that we then talk to who are themselves perplexed and unsure, would you show yourself to them? Would you appear? Would you save? We look to you, Lord, and we trust you. You are our hope. You are the one who is generous and has made there to be good news and has saved us in it. Thank you, Lord. We love you and we trust you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.